You'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're continuing our way uh, through the summer through the parables of Matthew. And so we find ourselves uh, switching from Matthew 13, where we had the kingdom parables, to Matthew 18, looking at verses 10 through 14 this morning. Now, there's two uh, passages that deal with uh, the parable of the lost sheep. The one that's found here in Matthew, and then the one that is found in the book of Luke. Now, a lot of people try to connect those two parables, and they really shouldn't. There are two, uh, two distinctive uh, applications of these parables. And we'll find in Matthew that Matthew is dealing with discipleship. So we're talking about people who are Christians who find themselves in the midst of strain from uh, where they need to be, and then God uh, goes out and he brings us back into the fold. As compared to evangelism of the lost in Luke chapter 15, and how do we know that? How do we know that there's a distinction? Well, we go to the context, and so what we find in Matthew 18 is that the chapter, uh, the disciples are starting to ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And so Jesus begins to put a little child in their midst, and he says, you have to become like a little child. That's the one who becomes the greatest in the kingdom. You're asking the wrong questions. You're asking, you're looking with the wrong perspective. We need to grasp and understand that we need to become the least in order to become the greatest. And so he wants to teach us what that looks like in this passage. And so look with me to Matthew 18. We're looking at verses 10 through 14 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So is it not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to the good shepherd. We come to the loving shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so, Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Father, we need you to allow the Holy Spirit to move, to teach us to draw us closer to yourselves, to remind those who are are hurting and distraught that you love them and that you know them by name. Those that are wandering away from the fold, those who find themselves and figure that they can no longer be forgiven, Lord, restore them back into your kingdom and into your flock. But more than anything, Father, make us look truly more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. Before we unpack the passage, I do want to take, because this is one of the passages that people go to that begin to talk about guardian angels, that somehow God has up there specific angels for us, and they go to this passage because it does say that there is in heaven angels, their angels, always to see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, again, this is just simply my opinion. I can't go to anywhere in Scripture. And again, this is one of those passages that's probably not a great passage to even talk about there being specific guardian angels. There is the understanding that there's probably angels for groups of people. And so there is angels that are overlooking those that are the little ones. 
And so I want you to understand with that in mind as we come to the passage, because they are the ones that are brought into the center. And Jesus says to the people that are around them, hey, you want to be great? Then take care of those who are weak and insignificant. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Now let's apply that to ourselves this morning. So as we look at this, there's two points. One is that the good shepherd seeks the lost. And so let us begin to unpack this passage and understand who it is that Jesus is as a shepherd. And so we know that he cares about us individually. We know that because he has the heart of a shepherd. Jesus is likened to a shepherd many times throughout the scripture, whether it's God in the Old Testament, Jesus specifically in the New Testament. John chapter 10 is where he's told and shown to be the good shepherd. They lay down his life. He becomes the gate. And so again, for those of us who who don't recognize out in the pastures out there, they would try to find either a fenced area around the city or they would find areas where they could protect the flock. And they would find some, usually some uh, hillsides or places where they could go and get some surrounding. But then the shepherd would actually lay himself and become the gate. So there couldn't be anything that came in or anything that left without going over the shepherd. And so we know that Jesus has the heart of that. He is willing to lay down his life, and he ultimately does that for us. He lays down his life for his sheep. But he also knows exactly what what needs to happen for us because he knows what we need. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 22 through 30. Luke 12, verses 22 through 30. If not, just write it down. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor bond, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you who are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So he knows as the shepherd, he knows exactly what we need. He tells us that very clearly. I know exactly what you need. And sometimes he tells us very clearly, you got to use your own money. But there's a lot of times where he says, watch and see that I am the good father. And again, the temptation for us is to try to do things on our own. We're sheep. And sometimes we don't trust the shepherd. But the shepherd not only has the heart of the shepherd, he also knows us intimately Because the shepherd is the one who knows his sheep and he calls them by name. And the amazing thing is, is that God knows his people and he calls you by name. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Because you begin to think, oh, well, God might like them. God might like 
us, big picture, but God doesn't care about me. God cares about you so intimately. He cares more about you than you do about yourself. And he's the one who says, I come and I know, and I know who you are at the very core. And I love you because I love you because I love you. And so as he knows us that intimately, he also wants to remind us that he cares for the lowly and the insignificant. Again, he's talking to disciples who are having this stupid argument about who's the greatest God, aren't I the greatest in the kingdom? I mean, look what I did for you. Come on, I, I was the one who walked on water. Hey, come on, I was the one who, who found the, the loaves and the fish. And I'm the one who's, you know, I'll let you come into my in-law's house and you have stuff to do and eat. And God, tell us, come on, who's, who's the greatest? And Jesus comes in, he says, puts a little kid in front of me. He's like, this, this person who you think is so insignificant so weak and so lowly. He or they are the greatest in the kingdom. So God has this ability and this desire to care for those who are lowly and insignificant in the midst of those who think they're so wise and so great. And so God cares about us individually and he cares for us as a shepherd. But as a shepherd, he also cares for us in regards to our weaknesses now, what are the needs of the sheep? And again, um, I probably have heard this before, but it, um, at the, the wedding, I was talking to John Roberts and we were um, talking and, and he was reminding me that his parents still to this day are sheep farmers up in Pennsylvania. And so, again, it was one of those things of, well, he's the one who needs to be up here and I should be taking the day off. But he didn't offer that. And so here's where we find ourselves. But he can clarify or tell me whether I'm on or off in regards to the needs of the sheep. Now, it has been told to me that sheep are not the smartest animals out in the animal kingdom. So why does God call us sheep? It's not very flattering. And I'm going to say this, and kids, I'm sorry that your parents have to hear this, but sheep are stupid. So now when we make our application of that with our rules of logic, if sheep are stupid and God calls us sheep, then we are stupid. Now, parents can chastise me. They can blast me away at lunch. But that's the implication, God is liking us to sheep who are not the smartest animals and they're actually very difficult to train. They like doing their own things. And not only that, they're totally dependent upon the shepherd. If the shepherd's not there, they can be assured that they're not going to survive. And so those are the needs of the sheep. So what is the care that's brought about by the shepherd? And we saw this from Psalm 23 that Jim read for us earlier. He's the one who takes us to green pastures. He's the one who makes us to lie down because the sheep are so skittish and they're, they're easily spooked. And they have to be sat and shown to be that they have to lie down in the green pasture. They have to have still water. When I was doing my study on this, they were saying that if you take a flock to a rushing river, none of the sheep would go towards the rushing river. Why? Because they're not smart. 
But it's the shepherd who has to build a dam or build a pool. And then the sheep can come in the midst of the still water, find the drink. It says that he's the one where we can go through the shadow of death. And again, that's that's an actual place over outside of Jerusalem. And it's a place of death. And it says you go through the shadow of death. Not death in and of itself through the shadow of death. Why? Because he's the one who protects us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And so he provides for us. He also anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. And I had no clue about this, but they talk about where they're out in the fields and there's potholes and there's different things and they would actually protect it because there are things that when the sheep, again, because we're not the smartest and we put our heads down and we're so focused on what we're doing that there are things that come and nip. And so they would anoint the head of the sheep. But that's the point of the shepherd. The sheep's not doing that in and of itself. And it's our cup overflows so that, again, have you seen it where the the sheep are always falling over? That one was for free. The rest, if I do that again, you got to pay for it. But they fall over. Because they can't do it in and of themselves. And so the care of the shepherd comes and he's the one who provides for the needs of the sheep. And so he knows us intimately, but he also cares for the weaknesses. He knows what we need. He's the one who provides, but he's also the one who knows and cares for us when we stray from the flock. Because what is the nature of sheep? Now, there's a couple of things here. There are those that get so focused Okay, on the things that are in front of them that they can just continue to munch and munch and munch and munch and literally find themselves away from the flock. They don't know it. There's others who are sitting there who are following the people in front of them. So they do say that there are flocks of sheep that go and fall off a cliff. Why? Because you're just simply following the person in front of them. If you ask them, what are you doing? Well, I'm just following Owen. Well, why are you following Owen? He's not that smart. I don't know. I was just following him. So Owen goes over, then I go over, and then it takes someone like his son, his little hippie son over here, Griffin, and Griffin goes, now wait a minute. We shouldn't go over. No, it's the shepherd. And the shepherd steps in. And so the shepherd is the one who stops. And so, again, the sheep stray from the flock. Isaiah 53, 6, one that we say all the time, every time that we have the Lord's Supper. We all, we all are like sheep. Each of us has gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has laid upon Christ the iniquity of us all. So we all, like sheep, want to go our own way. We're easily frightened. We're easily confused. We get lost. And we get lost for different reasons. We get lost for the lust of our eyes and our souls. So again, if a, if a sheep's looking down and he's getting focused on the grass and there's good grass and there's good grass, he keeps following it. He keeps following it. But then there's others on the other side who not just have the lust of the, the world to go after, but there's others who become self-righteous. And so they begin to, to say that, that they can take care of themselves. But neither is true. We all are lost. And so when we're lost, we're in fear of being attacked. Remember, sheep are not these great uh, 
things in the kingdom of animals. They don't have great mouths. They're not roaring lions. They're not fast. They can't outrun like gazelles or anything like that. These are animals that are susceptible. Easy prey. Except for the shepherd. And only that, then there is the drowning and the falling down, the going over cliffs. If the shepherd's not there, but there has to be the love of the shepherd. And that's what God tells us. It's God who through Christ and the Holy Spirit so loves you so intimately that he's willing to go after you even when you stray. So that's the second point. The good shepherd rejoices over that which is found. Now, again, going back to the shepherd, the shepherd seeks and finds. And so the first thing he does is it says he leaves the 99. Now, there's a couple of things here. One, I want you to understand that if the sheep are lost, they don't know they're lost and they're not looking to be found. They are in and of themselves not looking for it. So it's the shepherd that goes and pursues Now, when he goes to pursue the one, he has to leave the 99. Now, when he seeks the one, it does start asking that question. Does God have favorites? Why is he leaving the 99? And the 99 are the ones who are doing what they're supposed to do. They're staying in the flock. Now, there's a couple of things here. And one is the context. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to tell us that God cares about us individually, so much so that he would pursue us when we stray. But there's a second thing here that I want you to make an application is sometimes you're the 99, sometimes you're the one. You're both. Because sometimes you look good and you're doing the right things and you're coming to church and you're having your devotion time and you're forgiving people. But there's other times where you're self-righteous and you're not forgiving. There's other times where the the lusts of the earth are so, um, so in our face that that's all we see. Guys, maybe some of you need to stop pressing the button on your computer. Women, maybe some of you need to quit gossiping and telling stories about other people. Maybe all of us need to get out of our self-righteousness. Because here is the reality of this passage. Sometimes you're the 99, but sometimes you're the one. And so it's why God tells us in the prayer that he taught us even this morning. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Who have you not forgiven? And if you haven't forgiven someone, here's my challenge to you. Pray for them. And if you go and you start praying for them and you start praying this prayer, God, get them, then you're not praying. You're vindictive and you're mean-spirited. And you might not know Christ as your Savior. Because the fruit of the gospel is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, self-control. And if you're not emulating those fruit singular, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand the heart of the shepherd. Because the shepherd leaves those who are obeying to go and to find the one that is strained. So repent and come back because that's the desire of the shepherd. Now I want to take a tangent here because some people do look at this passage and they say, well, does God always find the one? In this passage in regards to discipleship, yes. Don't mix the Luke passage and this passage. Because people will look and they'll ask this question. How can a loving God send people to hell? Now, there's a couple of things about that. One, we have to define what is loving. And we need to make sure that the scripture is the thing that defines. Because it tells us very clearly in scripture that God is love. He doesn't have love. He doesn't understand love. He is love. Therefore, in and of himself, by the law of non-contradiction, he can never ever be unloving. So God in both his, in his love and mercy and grace is still loving in his justice. But also the other word that we need to make sure we define is send. God does not send people to hell. Listen, the truth of the reality of the gospel is that we all deserve hell. Why does God save anyone? So the question should be, if God is loving, then why do some people go to hell? He answers that for us in Romans chapter 1. Looking at verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So again, if someone's going to hell, they want to go to hell. Now I know for some of you, you just heard that and that just boogered you up. That's not true, Pastor. That's not right. There are people in hell. They don't want to be there. Yes, they do. Now, are there people who want to be saved by Jesus? Yes. Do they want Jesus to be their Lord? No. They want to go their own way, do their own things. They want to be their own God. So again, did Jesus really love, it says Jesus loved the rich young ruler. Did he really love him? Yes, he did. But he also made it very clear. Hey, here's what you need to do. You need to keep the law perfectly. Oh, I've done that. That's easy, Jesus. I'm in then. Okay, well, here's what you need to do. This is very simple. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, wait a minute. That's... You're stepping on my toes. Because I'm a rich man. Do you understand what I have, Jesus? Yeah, I do. And you're asking me to give it all away. Every last. 
and come follow me. Not going to do it. So make no mistake that Jesus is the one who goes out at the great shepherd. And in this passage, he's seeking the disciples, those who are of his flock, who hear his name and respond. And when he does that, he sends them out. Um, he's going and he's finding. He will find. He's faithful. We know that. You know why? Because we go and look for, if you've ever lost a wallet or lost a purse or something like that, how crazy do you become? Because it has everything important in it. So we start looking and we start retracing our, where where have I been? When was the last time I saw it? Where was it? Where did I sit? Did you look in the cushions? Of course I looked in the cushions. Why would you ask me if I looked in the cushions? Of course I looked in the cushions. Well, here's the wallet. I found it in the cushions. You didn't see this wallet? I didn't look in the wallet. But when we find it, what do we do? We rejoice. Oh, I don't have to go to the DMV again. All that money that I kept in the wallet. Oh, it's found. Oh, that social security card that I should never have kept in my wallet in the first place, but I did. But now it's gone. Now I got to We rejoice. How much more would the father rejoice over you, bringing you back? Now, the question for us is, do we still have that same heart? True story um, given by Ligon Duncan. Dr. Dupree Rain was a great and godly man who was the chairman of fine arts division at Furman University. And after his daughter had been married to her husband for 30 years, he left her right before the children were to leave the home. He left her in terrible financial condition and remarried a woman with whom he had had an affair. So Dr. Rain had to come out of retirement in order to support his daughter and her children. And it was truly a humiliating experience for him. About 12 months later, his son-in-law was diagnosed with an operable brain cancer. So who was the first person at his side? Dr. Dupree Rain. He came to minister to him and to call him to Christ. Because Dr. Rain had throughout that whole grievous ordeal, despite the injury that had been done to him and to his daughter, he had kept in mind two things. That what his son-in-law had done was absolutely not right, and it deserved God's condemnation. But at the same time, he desired to see him recovered from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he prayed. He prayed earnestly that God would convict him of his sin, and God did. And he repented, and so the husband died restored not only to his father-in-law, but restored to his God. Dr. Rain manifested there that godly attitude that we ought to have, not simply passing over sin, but at the same time desiring to see the sinner recovered for Christ. And he asked this question, is that our attitude towards those who sin and offend against us? Is that our attitude towards the weak? True story on the opposite side of this, a woman uh, whose husband left her um, had an affair asking the church to pray for the husband to repent and come back. And the husband did repent and come back, but it ticked the wife off. 
because she didn't like that the church welcomed this sinner back into grace and mercy. See, both extremes can happen. We can become self-righteous and we can begin to judge others and saying they are not welcome here. God's grace is not enough. Or do we comprehend what the sheep and what the shepherd's telling us? Do we grasp that none of us deserve the love and care of the shepherd? And as we're forgiven, we need to forgive those around us and make this a flock for the lost. Because there and only there will we find great rejoicing. So what's our challenge? Do we have a heart like the shepherd? Because here's the truth. The shepherds delight in those that are his. And for us, it's either Jesus or it's us paying the penalty. And if we are sheep and we're trying to pay for our own lives, then we are destined for hell. But Jesus is not only the good shepherd, he becomes that perfect sheep who sacrificed on our behalf, who goes to the cross and he gives to us his righteousness. So when God looks at Christians, he sees Jesus, not us. And Jesus is the one who's taken hell on our behalf so that we might inherit the green pastures. And so it's him and him alone who takes us. And so he brings to us and he asks, do we have the heart like a shepherd? And so he talks to us just like he talks to the disciple. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the greatest at Northside? The one who loves the weak and the insignificant and the cast aside. those who care about those who've gone astray, that you're willing to make your life uncomfortable. And again, that is a question. Do we care more about the friend or the friendship? Because if we care more about the friendship, then we'll never, we'll never uh, confront one another. We'll just let things just happen. And we'll just talk about it. Oh, that's really sad that things are going on in there. If we love the person we confront and love, but then we walk through it with them to restoration. Because that's the heart of a shepherd. To care for those who are depressed, longing for love, the lost, the needy. And the shepherd comes and says, as I have shepherd, now you go and shepherd as well. That's the charge. And if we get it and we begin to shepherd one another, don't look to me. I can only deal with so many sheep. And you heard how you are. Don't look just to the elders. Shepherd one another. Because I know there are things that you will not tell me, but you'll tell another person in this congregation. Go and minister to one another because we serve the great shepherd. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you give to us these parables and you apply it to our lives. And Father, I thank you that you speak to us not only as the one that strays, but also as the 99 that are left behind. And so, Father, I thank you that you love us because you love us because you love us. And Father, may we never take it for granted, but Lord, then use it as an example to supply us and to give us the power of the Holy Spirit and to send us forth and to be shepherds to one another. Not biting, not devouring, but encouraging one another and building each other up into the good shepherd. May we be found faithful. We pray all this in the powerful name of Christ, but we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. And all God's people said, amen.